in the uh, uh, passages that Brother Cale just read, Jesus said he came to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate <clears throat> asked a question that a lot of people today uh, ask as well, and that's, what is truth? You know, I, I, I have heard, and you probably have too, uh, some people talking about uh, choosing truth over facts. And I, I think a statement like that is kind of a sign of our times because people view truth as being a flexible thing. Uh, they don't believe in objective truth, something that is true for everybody, everywhere, all the time. Uh, but there is such a thing. And it's not as flexible as they would like to believe that it is. But the, the problem oftentimes arises when somebody is, is confronted by truth and it's something that they have not previously believed in. Maybe they weren't even acquainted with it. But it goes counter to some of the things that they do believe. They have a difficult time. And it's something that you may run into as well. You know, there are times when we have pointed out to us that some of our long-held beliefs are just simply not so. Now, a lot of times they don't really make any difference. You know, if you want to believe that the moon's made out of green cheese, you go right ahead. You know, is that going to make any difference to anybody? Not really. You know, anybody who finds out about it may ridicule you, but other than that, it's not going to make a difference. But there are a lot of things that what you believe does make a difference. Do you believe the truth or not? And how do you react when somebody confronts you with a truth that contradicts something you've already believed or something that is not going to mesh into your worldview very well? Psychologists have all kinds of, of words that they use or terms that they use to uh, uh, to talk about things like that, cognitive dissonance, for one. Uh, and it's one of those things, I've oftentimes said that, that the, uh, uh, the human species is a really remarkable thing. <clears throat> and for one reason, we can talk ourselves into or out of almost anything if we want to. We can absolutely convince ourselves of things. And what this is, is, is this is the way that the mind takes things. You, you believe something, and somebody presents you with another truth, another fact, and it doesn't mesh with the one that you already have. So do you reject the one you already have in favor of the new one? No, usually what we do is we start doing a little bit of folding, a little trimming, uh, a little modification of this new one, in order to get it to fit with the old one. Of course, now it's no longer true, but it's close enough that we can say, yeah, we believe in both. And there are people who can convince themselves that two things are true when they are mutually exclusive. They are contradictory. When you have a contradiction, it means that one of the things must be true and the other one must be false. There's no middle ground. 
One has to be true and the other one has to be false. So for you to say that you believe both of them at the same time takes some really clever mental gymnastics and people can do it. We do it all the time. I have said over and over and over again that one of the most interesting things to me about, about mankind, and I'm not accepting myself from this in any way, uh, but one of the most interesting things about them is that they understand the concept of rationality. Being rational means that you can view the evidence and you can draw conclusions from that evidence that are true. When you are confronted with something, you look at it, you study it, and you say, okay, this is what that tells me is true. We understand the concept, but we don't do it. You can present somebody with, uh, with something that is absolutely true. You can destroy every argument they've got. You can have them pinned, figuratively speaking, in a corner. So they have no choice but to admit that what you said is right. And they still won't do it. And it, it's one of those things, why? And one of the things I would like for you to do, and again, I include myself in it, is when we look at some of these things, don't just think about how other people do this. Think about how you do it. Because you do. Everybody does. How do you feel when somebody comes to you and says, this that you have believed for a long time is not true? This is. You know, you're not going to take that well at first. Number one, nobody likes to be wrong. We all hate to admit that we're wrong. Even if admitting that we're wrong is not going to hurt anything. Nobody's going to think less of us. Nobody's going to take money away from us. You know, nobody's going to hold us up to ridicule. It's not going to make a difference. But we still don't like it. We don't like to say, I was wrong. So we try our best not to. Sometimes we're forced to, but we don't like it. And we'll fight against it. And uh, it's one of those things. Like I said, I, I grew up in the church of God. I had to be convinced that a lot of the things that I believed were wrong. I'd heard them all my life. They can't possibly be wrong. But they were. Boy, I fought that tooth and nail. I put up a good struggle for years. But eventually I had to admit, yeah, I've been wrong all this time. Every bit of that was wrong. So think about how you deal with this, these things as well, because we all have to from time to time. Well, like I said, you, you can believe some things that are not true, and it won't make a difference. But now, especially when you're talking about religious truth, that is very important. That has eternal consequences. You know, I can believe that something is true, and maybe it will hurt me physically. Maybe it'll hurt me financially. You know, maybe it'll hurt my standing in the community. Those are all temporary things. But if I believe something that's not true religiously, that has eternal consequences. That can make a difference in my eternal destiny. Am I going to go to heaven, or am I going to go to hell? It depends on what I believe. I have to believe the truth. 
You know, in John 17, 17, Jesus praying to God the Father says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. And in John 8, 32, he told people, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's only through a, a knowledge, a belief in God's revealed word that we have any way of getting from this earth to heaven. We have to know it, we have to study it, we have to believe it, and then we have to act on that belief. If you choose not to believe it, you know, what then? In John 8, 46, Jesus is talking to the, uh, uh, the Pharisees and he has uh, essentially told them, yeah, you may think you have Abraham as your father, but the devil is your father because you act just like him. And he told them, he said, you're trying to kill somebody who, and all he's doing is telling you the truth. And they, nah, nobody's trying to kill you. Said, yes, you are. And if I tell you the truth, why don't you believe me? And that's a good question. Why don't people believe the truth? You know, if we were rational, we would. Somebody could present the evidence to us and we can say, yep, that, that settles it. I've been wrong all this time. That's the truth. I'm going to do that. And that would be a, a good thing to do, but we almost never do it. And there are a, a few reasons for that. Over in uh, Romans chapter 1, in verse 21, talking about the Gentiles, the Apostle Paul says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And he goes on talking about some of the things that they have done. And in verse 28, he says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Why did they not want to believe the truth? They didn't want to believe it because if you believe the truth, it requires something of you. People have a, a lot of reasons for not believing the truth. And that's one of them. It's because I know that if I agree that what you say is true or what I read in the Bible is true, that is going to require something of me. I'm going to have to change the things I believe. I'm going to have to change the things that I do. I'm going to have to make changes because of that. And I don't want to. That's the thing. They don't want to change. They like the way they are. They like the way things are done. And they have no intention of changing. Over in John chapter 3, Jesus says, verse 18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Light makes manifest. It shows things for what they are. So if your deeds are evil, the light is going to show that your deeds are evil. And you don't want that. You don't want people to know it. And so you hate the light. You want the light to go away. 
For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. People don't like religiously correct people, oftentimes. Why is it, do you think, that the Lord's church is generally held up to ridicule? They won't do that to the, the Methodists or the Baptists or Episcopalians or Catholics or other people. I, re I remember a uh, long time ago, uh, Marcia and I were dating and I was talking about, well, we, we were dating and I was going to start uh, going to services with her. You would not believe the kind of flack I got. And uh, somebody even said, look, why don't you date a Mormon? Those are good people. They're good family people. You know, basically it was date anybody but one of those. Why? Because most religious groups are not exclusive. The Lord's Church is. Not because we made it that way, we didn't. We don't exclude anybody. We would like to welcome everybody. God made it exclusive. And they don't like that. Because if you say you're right, then that means everybody else is wrong. How many jokes have you heard about that? You know, there are loads and loads of, of Church Christ jokes out there. You know, like the one where a guy go, uh, dies and he shows up at the pearly gates and, and Peter says, come right on in. And the guy looks and there's just, there are gates in this wall everywhere. Loads of them, big fancy ones. And he says, well, well, what gate do I go in? He says, it doesn't matter. They all go to the same place. And then he looks way down on the end and there's this one little bitty, tiny, rough wooden gate. And he says, what about that one? He said, oh, no, you can't go in that one. I said, well, why not? He said, because that one's for the Church of Christ. They're the only one, they think they're the only ones that are going to be here. That's the way people treat us because they don't like truth. They don't. And there are a lot of people out there who don't. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Because they don't want to. They have an investment in error. I, I heard a guy one time, it was one of those discussions between a member of the church and a, a, a member of a denomination, and, and it was over, you know, well, the, the, uh, uh, the organization of the church, the necessity of baptism for salvation, uh, women in leadership positions, taking the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, you know, all of these things where we differ from them and the guy finally said, you know, everything came from, from Scripture. So it was, you know, you can argue with, with the, the Bible if you want to, but you can't argue with me because I didn't say any of it. It did. And I said, okay, I see what you say. I absolutely understand where you're coming from. And well, but I can't accept it. Why? Because my family, as far back as anybody knows, have gone to this same denomination. And if I agree that you're right, all of them were wrong and they're all lost. And I will not accept it. 
And it's like, well, you know, what do you do now? They have decided where they're going to go. You know, I, I, I oftentimes will reference the, uh, uh, the rich man and Lazarus in a situation like that because I'll tell them, say, you know, if, if you read that parable, what was the very first thing that was of importance to the rich man when he lifted up his eyes in torment? I want some relief. I want out of here. Can't have it. What was his second most important thing? Don't let my brothers come here. I've got five brothers. Send Lazarus back to tell, tell them not to come here. So if you do have uh, relatives that are lost, you know, the second most important thing to them is that you not follow them. They don't want you to be there. But some people will, will choose just not to believe. You know, you, you, you look through some of the things, and, and one of the things that's important is, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul gives some examples from the children of Israel, some of the things that they did. And in verse 6, he says, these things were written for our examples, to be examples for us. In, in other words, if you're capable of learning from somebody else's mistake, then look at what they did what the results were, and then don't do it. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but most people are not capable uh, of learning from, they're not capable of learning from their own mistakes, let alone somebody else's. You know, somebody told me that the stove was hot. I had to touch it twice to find out. Then I decided, okay, yeah, they were right. Wasn't a coincidence. But some people will not believe you no matter what. You know, you can look at the examples all you want to, but it's not going to make a difference. But we have a lot of good examples. That's one of the, the really valuable things about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you have lots and lots of examples. In the, in the New Testament, uh, you know, you have individual people, and they're not dealt with in any real great detail. You know, you, you read a little bit about them, and, you know, then it goes on and talks about something else. In the Old Testament, you have one person. You know, take David, for example. You can read a lot about David, and you can learn a lot from his example. You can read a lot about King Saul and learn from him and other ones. It's, it's great to see examples, see what these people did, and uh, what we should do based on their example. You know, it, it turned out badly. Don't do like they did. So we need to look for those things. And uh, one of the issues is when you talk about things that are a hindrance to believing the truth, again, one of them is, is that people just don't want to believe it because it's going to require something of them. And then sometimes it's due to the influence of another person. Somebody else was leading them down the wrong path. I heard somebody back, again, this was years ago, and uh, they were talking about something, and they said, I, I have always thought that that was wrong, but this person did it, and I don't believe that they would do anything wrong, so it must not be wrong after all, because somebody else did it. You know, there are no perfect people on this earth. Even though they may be really, really good, they can still make mistakes. You don't do something, you don't change, thinking, well, I, I thought it was wrong, but now I think it's okay, just because one person did it. 
You know, in Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul asked the brethren there, he said, in verse 1, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Who led you astray? Who did this to you? You know, because there was obviously something that had happened. He had taught them the gospel. He had taught them what they were supposed to do. And for some strange reason, they had veered from the truth. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1, John, uh, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He said, don't just believe them. Test them to see if they're telling you the truth or not. You need to know because they can lead you astray. Yeah, they're going to have to be accountable for that. But still, at the same time, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. You know, in, uh, in John chapter 11, this kind of, I think, gives a really good idea of, of how bad this whole thing can be. In John chapter 11, Jesus has come and, and he has raised Lazarus from the dead. He waited purposely knowing that, that Lazarus was going to die. And he came, and he raised him from the dead. And then in uh, John eleven forty five, it says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. They had to go tell the Pharisees. Do you know what this guy's doing? Then the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. They knew what he did. They made no attempt to deny it. They just said, Because of this and things like this, He's going to lead the whole nation away. Everybody's going to follow him. And we're afraid of what the Romans will do to us then. You know, that, that, that takes, I think, a, uh, an exceptionally hard heart. This man is raising people from the dead. And you're not going to listen to what he says? You know, that makes no sense. This man works many signs wasn't just one or two or three he did a lot of them and we have got to shut him up we have got to do something about him and get him out of the way because if we don't romans are going to come and they're going to take away our place over in acts chapter four you've got another sort of a parallel uh, sort of thing that happens you got the, uh, uh, the disciples that have been preaching in the temple, and they've been forbidden to do so. You know, you don't preach in this man's name anymore. You're bringing his blood on, on our heads. Well, they were the ones that, that called for that. But in, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled that they realized that they had been with Jesus. 
And seeing the man who had been healed, they had healed this man who had been born lame, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. They see what they've done, and do they say, well, if he's able to do this, you know, we need to pay attention to him. We need to go and do what he says. No. We've got to cover this up. We can't let the truth out. People have that level of hardness of heart, and it's something that, that the Jews had had the whole time. You know, in, in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, what does he say? We know that you are a teacher come from God because no man can do the things you do unless God is with him. We know. He wasn't just speaking for himself. He was speaking for the others as well. But they would not confess. We know that you are a teacher come from God. John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, they know what, what uh, Jesus has done, but they don't want to admit to it. In that particular case, it's because they were afraid of getting thrown out of the synagogue. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They knew what the truth was. They refused to believe it. They wouldn't do it. And like I said, this, this is something that we need to look at the examples and then make some personal application of it. You know, these things happen, and you can, you can look at these, and if you're like me, you say, how can somebody be that hard-hearted? How can somebody be that blind? How can somebody do such a thing? They know what the truth is, they know what they ought to do, and they absolutely will not do it. But there are people like that now. And sometimes when somebody confronts you with a truth that is uncomfortable to you, or to a, to a truth that you no is contradictory to something else that you already believe, what is your response? Do you say, I'm not going to believe that. I don't want to believe that. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. I want to get rid of that. You know, there, uh, another one of those terms that, that people throw around sometimes is confirmational bias. And this is another one of those things, every single one of us does it. Some more than others, but we all do it. When, when we're looking for some evidence for something, we will, at least subconsciously, weed out the evidence that we don't like and keep the evidence that we do. We will look for things that confirm that our opinion is right. I used to laugh about that. I, I used to hang out on some internet forums and after a little while, I just got absolutely fed up with that, and I quit. 
And one of the reasons I did is because people were, were looking for validation, not information. They, they would get on the, uh, uh, on the forum and they would ask for somebody, what do you think about this? And everybody would, would no, nope, that's bad. Nope, that's no good. Nope, that won't work. And, you know, you'd have 20 people all say the same thing. It's bad. It, it, it's not going to work. Don't do it. And one guy would say, well, yeah, I, I think you're right. He'd ignore the 20 and, 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 oh, yeah, see, somebody agrees with me. And that's the way they go, which is where they wanted to be in the first place. People look for, for validation, not information. They want somebody to agree with what they already think. Now, one of the things about that is, is if you are forewarned about it, you can take some steps to try to avoid it. Be aware of the fact that it's a possibility that you may do that, and then when you start looking at things, try to make sure you don't weed out the information that you don't like. Because that way you'll find out. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong, but if you go at it the right way, you'll be able to find out. You'll know what the truth is. You know, in, in Proverbs chapter 23, in verse 23, we're told, buy the truth and do not sell it. Truth is valuable. And when you're talking about God's truth, that's the only thing that's going to get you from this earth to heaven. God's truth. Not your opinion about it. Not somebody else's opinion about it. But what God actually said. Is it true? You know, I, I, I have had people, and, and this is the way confirmational bias goes sometimes, talking to somebody about the necessity of baptism for salvation, and they say, well, that's, that's Holy Spirit baptism. Why do you say that? It doesn't say that there in the text. You know, Acts 2.38, 1 Peter 3.21, Mark 16, 15 and 16, it doesn't say anything about Holy Spirit baptism. So, well, well, yeah, but it says that baptism is necessary, and since water baptism is not necessary, it must be talking about Holy Spirit baptism. Yeah, that's the way it works. You read into it what you want to see. You read out of it everything you don't want. They're convinced that it's talking about Holy Spirit baptism because in their mind, water baptism is not essential and Holy Spirit baptism is. So anytime it says that baptism is necessary for salvation, they will automatically read that as Holy Spirit baptism because that agrees with what they think. You've got to be careful about that sort of thing. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul said, test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. You need to be able to look at everything. Is it true or is it not? And, and do it in an objective, critical way so that you'll know the truth. Now, it, it's one of those things, you know, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul talks about people who are always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we don't need to be like that. There, are, there comes a time when you have proved it enough. You have studied it enough. This is true, and I know it. There's no way around it. So you don't have to spend a lot of time with that. But don't, don't let being uncomfortable about it 
keep you from examining other things that you think are true, but are they? I mean, if you go into it with an objective mind, if it is true, you'll know it for sure. Great, okay, settle that. And if it's not, then you'll, oh, okay, maybe I ought not be doing that. Maybe I shouldn't believe that. Maybe I shouldn't do it. One of the best examples that I've ever seen, uh, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bereans. The uh, Jews in Thessalonica were not happy with the Apostle Paul when he came and started to preach. They caused a big fuss. Paul had to leave and go to Berea. He went to Berea, and following his usual uh, method, he went into the synagogues, and he began to preach to the Jews. Now, these Jews, it says, listened with all readiness. They said, well, we've never heard this before, but we'll, we'll listen to you. We're not going to reject it out of hand. We're going to hear what you've got to say first, but we'll listen. And then they searched the scriptures daily to see if what they were being told was true. We'll listen to what you have to say, but we're not taking your unsupported word for it. We're going to get into scripture and we're going to see if you're telling us the truth or not. And he was. The next verse says, therefore, many of them believed. They said, yep, he told the truth because we got into scripture and we found it. He's right. But now they knew it for sure. They weren't just taking somebody's word for it. We need to be willing to do that. You know, examine our own beliefs. Do it in the light of God's word. Do it as objectively as we possibly can. And when you find the truth, accept the truth and follow the truth. And as long as you do that, you can't go wrong. It may be that there's someone here this evening that's not a child of God. If that be the case, you could come forward this evening confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and you could be baptized to have your sins washed away. Or if you're an erring child of God, you need to go to God in prayer, confess your sin to him from a repentant heart, and ask him to forgive you. And he's promised to do that. If your sin is public in nature, then your, your repentance should be public as well so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. Or maybe you just need to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, would you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing? <laughs>